0: praise the Lord everybody, Uh, we're thankful to the Lord for yet another day that He has kept us, another opportunity that He has given us to come before you to just share uh, just a few moments of time with you, Uh, talk about God's Word, hopefully uh, it's a blessing to you, it enriches your life, it empowers you to live uh, according to God's Word and will. We're so thankful for those of you that have joined with us this morning, and we're looking forward to the Lord being here uh, with us in our midst. We so much miss the fellowship of the body of believers coming together, uh, singing songs and celebrating and dancing, and I look forward to that day uh, when we're able to get back to that. Uh, But until then, we thank the Lord for this opportunity that He's given us to, at least uh, through technology Uh, impart uh, God's Word. Last week we were talking about forgiveness um, out of the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew and we kind of focused in on the conversation that Jesus and Peter uh, were having in reference to forgiveness and we wanted to just continue uh, briefly uh, talking about that, uh, giving you some food for thought, uh, hoping that it's a blessing to you as you go throughout the week. If it's one thing that I've noticed in this year of 2020 as crazy and chaotic as it's been, um, one thing that's really stood out is the enormous amount of uh, offense that exists between uh, human beings, uh, whether it's uh, racial offense, whether it's uh, socioeconomic, uh, political, um, eth- ethnicity, um, you know, financial, class uh, type of things there seems to be a whole lot that we're holding on to uh, in reference to uh, having issues, so to speak, with each other. Uh, And I believe that God's Word is pretty clear in the the sense that we who are the children of God ought to have a spirit of forgiveness. And and it's not just something we possess, but it's also something that we practice. So we in the body of Christ should... um, be really living out um, what Christ did for us, uh, which was forgive us before we said, I'm sorry. Um, you've heard me say before that if we waited for people to tell us that they're sorry before we forgave them, uh, we wouldn't be forgiving a whole lot of people. Uh, but that's not what Christ did. Thank, thanks be to God, he did not do that to us. Um, he, by his grace, forgave us. And his his word to to his father was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, And and oftentimes that's the example that is set by Christ that we ought to share with one another. So Jesus, he illustrates this spirit of forgiveness uh, in this text. He's talking about this spirit of forgiveness, this um, way of living, and he likens it to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven in its present form includes some people who are servants of God. These These are our brothers and sisters that you talk to and deal with on a daily basis. But we find that they are only servants in profession only, not always in practice. The servant in this parable professes faith in God, but his profession is false. You see, he's in the church walking amongst God's people. He's in desperate need of God to meet him, to grant to him mercy and forgiveness, but he hasn't learned the most important thing about God's compassion and forgiveness. You see, forgiveness um, is a spirit, and God has a spirit of forgiveness. He's just like a king who takes account of his servants. And this parable is simple, yet very descriptive and full of meaning. You see, God is the king. But he's not like any other king. He's a very unusual king. He's a king who rules justly, as all kings should rule. But we know not all kings do rule justly. He's a king... um, that not only rules as he should, but he's much more than that, because he's loving and compassionate and forgiving. He's even more than these. My wife and I, um, uh, we have a, a very dear friend. Uh, I call him a father in the faith, uh, spiritual leader. His name is Bishop Thomas Burns, and uh, anyone that knows Bishop Burns knows that he talks about the royal family. He he. You know knows everything that there is to know about the royal family. I think he knows them better than they know themselves. And my wife and I were thinking about him last night as we were uh, looking at this series called The Crown. We had just started to look at it. We were thinking about Bishop Burns, and um, we were actually thinking as we were watching it, um, asking him is, if what we were seeing was historically correct because if anyone knows, he would. But one of the things that were that was demonstrated in that was the abdication of uh, King Edward um, to King George uh, back in the 30s, 40s, sometime in around there. Um, so the one son who was the king, he abdicated his throne and gave it up for uh, what he said was love for a woman. Um, and his brother ends up becoming the king, King George. And it caused a rift in the family. And they showed the queen mother, who was the mother of the king, who uh, years and years later still grappled with uh, you know, forgiving him for what he'd done. And he makes a statement that was so um, pointed to, to the topic that we're talking about today. And that is sometimes we don't always, we're not always sure if we're in the family. But we know for sure we're not when we've done something for which we are not forgiven. And and that's kind of um, where we're at now. And that's kind of what we deal with on a daily basis. We may not always know if we're accepted, but we do sure enough know when we're being rejected. But this isn't the example that Jesus said. He didn't reject us. He has accepted us. And he wants us to understand that and to know that, that he has accepted us because he's consumed with love and compassion towards us. He's so consumed that he will forgive enormous debts, debts for which are actually inconceivable. The Word of God puts kind of a number on it, so to speak, and it's in the millions, billions, trillions to give you an idea of the depth for which God has forgiven us through his son, Jesus. But even in that, it's so enormous, it's so inconceivable, that that in and of itself, that description, really struggles to fully explain the debt that we owe to God. But in this parable, the king takes account of his servants. He takes account um, at varying times and Uh, And and accounting is required at conversion and on those occasions when God leads us to evaluate our lives. One of the things I'm really big on is self-evaluation. You should constantly be evaluating yourself so that you can uh, make adjustments and changes where necessary so that you can more reflect God uh, and less reflect your uh, human nature. So Jesus states, all must give an account. Now, the word reckon from the Greek word irene means to take an account, to uh, make a reckoning, to settle accounts. So, here in this parable, the king begins to check his province and the ledgers of his province, his receipts, his expenditures, his improvements. And the king has a critical interest in what his servants are doing and what they have received through the gifts that he has given them to use. Not unlike, uh, God has an interest in the gifts that he's given us as his children to use in his kingdom. We're all brought to the king by the spirit, the word, and even Christian witnesses. We're all led to see how huge our debt of sin and service, uh, that, it, that the service that we owe to God. Psalms 19 and 12 puts it like this, who can understand his error? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. There are things going on in you that you have not even acknowledged yourself that Jesus has dealt with already in the laying down of his life at Calvary, the shedding of his blood. Psalm 40 and 12 says this, For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. You see, the debt of a servant, the debt that you and I have towards God, is huge. It's huge. It's it's bigger than the huge that we so constantly hear about from our current president, one of his favorite phrases. It's huge. Well, the debt of our sin is huge. It's beyond really a real numeric value it's probably the gross revenues of a province or a state the servant is is a high official placed over the province who was held responsible for the administration of the things that god had given over to him the point is that god has given us life and made us overseer of that very life and to sin is to mismanage the life that we've been given, and to cause loss. Therefore then, sin puts us in debt to God, who's given us life itself. The debt is infinite. It's beyond anything that we could ever pay. You see, in actuality, all of us have filed bankruptcy before God. What is bankruptcy? It is an inability to pay debt. You see, sin bankrupts man. It puts man in debt to God. And we are so bankrupt by sin that nothing can pay our debts. Silver and gold, no amount of uh, precious jewels can cover our debt. Neither can we cover the debt of our brother or our sister, our family members. We can't pay their debt either. Psalm 49, 6-7 says this, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can be can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. You could not acquire enough wealth to pay the debt to God. Your works can't pay your debt. Titus three five through six says, "It's not by works of righteousness." which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Jesus is the only thing. He's the only way. He's the only hope. He's the only wealth that is capable of satisfying the debt. That we owe to God. Making sacrifices and giving offerings can't pay our debt. First Samuel 15 and 22 says this. And Samuel said, "Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. You see, we have to do things within the framework of God. We have to live our lives within the instruction of God. If we are ever to live the fullest life we possibly can. Last week I told you how forgiveness is connected to relationships. And the success of relationships is dependent upon the unity that exists within that relationship. If we're not unified in the relationships that we have because of unforgiveness that sits in our hearts, which is a cancer that brings disrupt, disruption and destruction to the very thing that we say we are a part of. If we're not unified, if we're not agreed, we cannot move very far together. We may be able to take steps. And this is why we see some things uh, moving at times or giving the, uh, the, the picture that it's moving When in actuality, it's not going very far. Only because there's no unity. Unity will not exist where unforgiveness is um, in existence. The, The great thing about this parable is we cry for mercy. Our only hope is that God loves us enough that he will simply forgive us in compassion and mercy. We can't make God forgive us. Our hope is that he will forgive us. Just like our hope in this natural life is that when we fail our brothers and sisters, our husbands, our wives, our mothers, our fathers, our friends, and we seek their forgiveness, that somehow our hope is they will find it within themselves to grant to us the grace that we don't often deserve. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, if we're going to exemplify God, if, if Christ truly live in us, if the demonstration of who we are is a reflection of who he is, then if God is rich in mercy, we as his children ought to be rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. So then, the fulfillment of Christ's representation in our life, as we practice Christ, we can't just put Christ on. We have to practice. as we practice Christ, the demonstration of that very existence, the revelation of who it is that is alive in us, is measured by the level of forgiveness that lays in our heart, that grace that we're willing to extend to others. We hear the love and the forgiveness of God. We talk about the love and the forgiveness of God. Some of the things that brings us to God and causes us to evaluate and take account of our lives, uh, our trials, our troubles, our sicknesses, our disease, tragedies, people, all lead us to a revelation of who God is in our life. But unforgiveness is a problem for us. There was a servant spirit of unforgiveness that was being dealt with. While this very servant was seeking forgiveness from his master, even as we seek forgiveness from God, and thanks be to God that at the cross he forgave us, so we're not sinners now, we are the redeemed of the Lord. We can say that we are the redeemed because he has done what needed to be done. No more needs to be done to deliver us into his grace. Jesus did it all. He finished it at the cross. But there are many of us who sought this very forgiveness, yet we hold unforgiveness in our heart. We have a spirit of unforgiveness. The very steps that are taken by this servant in this parable involve an unforgiving spirit. And I'm just going to touch on these before we close for today. Give you some food of thought, something to think about as you're dealing with Um, relationships that you're in, as you're examining and debriefing yourself, as you um, take your life and your relationships and match them to uh, these words today. Is the way or am I living according to God's will in a spirit of forgiveness or am I living in a spirit of unforgiveness? It's important that we understand this because if we don't understand in which spirit we're living it becomes very difficult to be successful in walking in unity with our brothers and sisters. So this servant, he faces a person who owes him. A person who had offended him. Many of us are dealing with people that have offended us. Some of us are married to those people who have offended us. And it's really important, especially for us married folks, that we listen to what God is saying here. Because some of the disruption that is in existence in your relationship, in your home, some of that very lack of peace, some of that um, thing that causes you to, uh, for lack of a better word, be mean to each other, is solely based upon an unforgiving spirit that you're grappling with. So here this person, he's offended. He's owed a debt. In comparison, the debt or the offense that is owed to him is very small in uh, relationship to uh, the debt that he owed to God. It was not a millionth of the debt that was owed uh, to God by him. The proportion was in actuality over one to one million two hundred and fifty thousand, which is an enormous difference. And this shows the enormous difference between our sin against uh, a brother, a sister, or um, their sin against us. And when we really see this, an unforgiving spirit toward a brother then becomes inexcusable. We, and I'm going to say this, and some of you, this may frustrate you, we should and have been empowered by God to forgive anything. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives richly in us, and he forgave us everything. We should not have limitations on our forgiveness. But many of us respond just like the servant responds. While in our own walk with God, we've sought uh, forgiveness, uh, we've sought reconciliation, we, we've sought the blessings of God, the peace of God, we've sought the protection of God, and so on and so forth. Yet, when it comes to our brother, we do exactly what this servant does. We, we act severely. He attacks his debtor, the one that owed him, He exercises his authority over the debtor and attempts to squeeze the payment out of him. So in in actuality, what he does is he gets angry that this person cannot pay him what is owed. And instead of showing him grace, he shows him malice. You see, there was no need for this kind of behavior. And this kind of behavior is inexcusable. There is no justification for a believer, a true believer, one who has sought the forgiveness of God, to not forgive their brother. There is no excuse. There's nothing that we can come up with. There's no debt that we can uh, point to that is greater than the debt God has forgiven us for. We ought to do as God did, not show malice but show grace. Remember, the king shows mercy. The king didn't press charges against his servant. The king forgave the debt of his servant. We need to remember the love and the forgiveness that God demonstrates in our own life as we attempt to reflect that very same love and forgiveness in our life towards the lives of others. God's love and forgiveness needs to become the controlling factors of our relationships. We ought to walk daily in forgiveness, one toward another. But what this person does is what we often have done and what we need to stop doing. We reject the cry for mercy from those who have offended us. And we live in a state of refusal to forgive And most of the time, our refusal to forgive is based upon or validated by in our own minds the times we forgave before only to be offended again, and oftentimes in the same manner. But think back to Psalm. My sin is greater than the number of hairs on my head. My heart fails me, yet God forgave us. In actuality, unforgiveness is an action of selfishness. And it's not an action of the uh, Spirit of God, it's an action of the Spirit that is ruling the world. It's an action that functions according to law and justice. You see, the man really did owe the servant. The debt was a just and it was a legal debt. The servant had every right to demand and force payment. This is justice. But remember the point that Christ is making. The King, God, does not act toward us legally, executing justice and judgment. He has compassion and mercy upon us and forgives us, wiping out all of our debt. If you don't remember anything from today, remember this. When we engage the life of our brothers and sisters, Our husbands, our wives, our children, our friends, even our enemies. It ought to be not from a legal standard, but a standard of grace. Not so much what I have the authority to do, but what my love compels me to do. The question is, how often should we forgive our brother? Peter says seven times. Christ says 70 times seven. Have compassion and mercy. Don't demand justice. Don't execute the law or legalism against the one that has offended you, that has harmed you. Don't trample this person underfoot. Don't act cruelly, swallowing him up or destroying his spirit. But do what Christ did to us, which was love and forgive, even if it's only for Christ's sake. Ephesians 4 and 32 says this. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see... We have to look at the words that are used in the text. They were very sorry. God's uh, true servants are always grieved to see people mistreated, abused, trampled upon. Cruel and mean treatment always troubles or should always trouble the people of God. Suffering, pain, hurt, and death cut to the heart of God's people. They feel for the afflicted. They're suffering their pain and their hurt. They feel for the the just but sinful man, the sin uh, that is uh, being meted out. But we as the children of God have to always function in the love of God because it is the love of God that has granted to us new life, another opportunity to get it right, another chance. I've always said that I'm an open book. If it was not for the grace of my own wife, I may be a divorced man right now. But because of the love of my wife, the love that she has for me, the love that she has for God, every time that I have failed her in our over 30-year relationship, she has forgiven me. And we have moved on together in unity. Not harboring ill-will toward the other, which only tears down the relationship, but embracing the love that is in existence between us to empower the relationship to overcome everything that stands against it. Likewise, even as she has failed me, I have lived in practice a state of forgiveness. Why? Is it because she and I are in some way better than others? absolutely not we are frail human beings struggling with our humanity making mistakes requiring forgiveness saying things we wish we never said feeling things that we should have controlled and disciplined ourselves not to feel but the demonstration or allowing the god that is in us the gift of the holy ghost that he so graciously has poured out on us to become the ruling and uh, governing um, power in our life has enabled us to do the things that God would have us to do. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So then it's not something that I have done because I'm a great man or something that she has done because she is a great woman. Is something that we have done because he is a great God. And even as we have done it, lived it, practiced it, and still do today, so can each and every one of you. Because the same God that is in me exists in you. You have power. You have power to live and practice a life of forgiveness. If you really wanna be successful in your relationships, if you really wanna enjoy a relationship that blows the minds of other people, walk in unity with that person or those people you are in a relationship with. And the only way you can walk in unity is by having a spirit that is present and practiced A spirit of forgiveness. Because if you cannot forgive, you cannot walk in unity. Because unity says we are agreed. Unity says we stand together. Unforgiveness says I have ought against you. Unforgiveness says I cannot stand with you because sometimes looking at you makes me sick. And if we think about it, some of us have even uttered those very words. I can't stand to be around you, or I need to be away from you, even just for moments of time, for my own sanity. Well, what is that about? That is about the unforgiveness that exists in our heart towards another. That's what unforgiveness does. It drives us apart. It separates us. But forgiveness calls us together. Forgiveness brings us to a place of unity. Forgiveness opens up doors of prosperity and peace in our relationships with others. I salute you and I thank you for this time you've given me today to speak into your life. Take some time. Analyze the word. Try it according to the word of God. And see that what I am saying is of God. And a benefit for you. Then apply it to your life. Don't just believe me because this is what I'm saying. I've given you scripture reference. To validate every word that I've spoken. I want you to research it on your own. And see if you come up with the same hypothesis. If you come up with the same result which I believe you will and then take that and apply it to your life so that you can live in the peace that has eluded you for so long God bless you heaven smile upon you and grant to you great peace